0: Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom.
1: All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom. On the phone with me for this hour is, I was going to say you to be lacrosse, uh, is lacrosse school superintendent, Dr. Aaron Engel. He's going to be hanging out if you got questions. 608-785-7914. Shoot me a text. How's it going, Aaron? Good. Thank you for having me today. You uh, you have one more week of freedom Or not? As a superintendent, do you even even get a summer vacation, quote-unquote?
0: I I work all summer, and a lot of other administrators do as well. There's lots to do, hiring and budget stuff and all sorts of things. But as students come back on Friday, we are super excited. It is one of the best times of the year.
1: Yeah, that's next week, right? Like next Friday? Not this Friday. Is it this Friday? Yeah, Yeah, next next week,
0: Friday. Friday. On on Alaska started early because they got some building projects coming up, and our year-round school started uh, you know back in uh, July up at Northside but all of our students come back on Friday next week.
1: I have a, a list of things to talk about that's a mile long so I, I want to try to like get to some of these um, also really hot out Decora had to like cancel school. Decora doesn't have air conditioning is that that seems that's a crazy concept. I don't know is there any, there's no school in the cross that doesn't have AC right?
0: That's correct. We have, are fortunate. Uh, a number of years ago, we did some building projects and we're able to get air conditioning into all of our buildings. But, you know, for many years, many school districts didn't have air conditioning in their buildings. So not uncommon.
1: Um, a big thing. And I'm just I'm I'm just going to dive into some of these. A big thing. We've talked about this a couple. Well, you haven't been on. I, I let you I gave you some. Um the truancy numbers last year were like higher than, were they higher than they'd ever been before? They were kind of just like blown out of the water, the the, the level of truancy last year.
0: Yeah. Um, higher than they have ever been, you know, uh, four years ago our absenteeism rate, which means missing more than 10% of school was at about 25%. And we weren't thrilled with that. Um, this last year though, um, uh, it was at forty nine percent, so uh, substantially higher. Uh, a lot of it has to do with COVID and changing habits, uh, but we really need kids to be at school so they can learn.
1: What does what does that mean at forty nine percent? Like uh, kids, I don't even. What is that percentage?
0: That means that half of our students, so three thousand students, missed more than eighteen days of school.
1: Oh, okay. So there's a benchmark, like 18 and then, okay. so
0: 10% of the the days of school, they missed uh, part or all of 18 days of
1: school. Okay. This is definitely, uh, uh... this is definitely like, you can kind of relate this to the workforce. This is definitely COVID related, right? Like kids for a year, I think was it a whole year that they were remote learning and do, do some of those kids as they transit back to school, Go, you know what, I kind of like remote learning. I don't want to go to school like workers that have transitioned to being able to work from home. And now some employers are like, no, we want you back in the office. And there's kind of a retaliation. I'm getting all my work done at home. I don't want to go back to the office. Do you think that's kind of related in schools, too?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a certain part of it, you know, especially for our older students. You know, they felt like, hey, I can get this done, you know, on my own time. I don't need to to punch a clock there. Um, But um, our parents kind of got different habits, too, different expectations. We didn't worry about uh, truancy for a long time. And we were sending kids home for 10 days at a stretch when they got uh, COVID, you know, and so... Uh, parents, you know, are still kind of thinking about this a little bit differently. Uh, and we need to just get back on track and get back to where we were five, six years ago when we had a 13% absenteeism rate. Uh, we need kids in school so that we can, uh, help teach them, uh, get them the skills they need to be successful
1: later in life. Is there an age range where this is more prevalent? Is it like high school students you're, you're seeing, uh, the, the 18 days missed or, or lower grades?
0: Absolutely, it's definitely more at the the secondary level. We certainly see it more at high school and middle school, Um, but it's often at the elementary school where we're most concerned. You know, those formative years in kindergarten and first grade, when you're learning how to read and do basic math, those are the most important times to be at school. And so, while we want all of our kids to be at school, it's especially crucial for that early elementary age.
1: All right. So, are are there? You know, this kind of comes out. Last year, you're like, okay, well, you've had a summer to think about it. So, is there anything you're going to do differently?
0: Ah, uh, we've had a, a task force uh, working with the the county uh, and other local school districts for a year and a half now. We've been brainstorming all sorts of ways and new strategies, and we want to be uh, proactive up front. You know, give positive messages about coming to school. We want to be preventative wherever we can. You know, uh, let parents know up front, like, hey, this is important. Uh, you've missed a couple of days, let's get back to school. Are there any barriers you're experiencing? We've got a social worker and school counselor that can help you overcome those challenges. Um, But at the end of the day, if folks aren't willing to come to school voluntarily, which is required by law, uh, then we are interested in in helping compel people to come to school because it is just so important for our students and so important for our community and our society. Well, how does that work? Uh, you know, the next step is turning it over to to law enforcement. You know, there's ordinances on the books uh, that require students to uh, attend school, and so we're going to work with uh, our local law enforcement agencies and uh, try and put in place some uh, stricter measures as we move forward. Work with the the county. Uh, you know, when we are concerned about children's welfare. You know, there's some cases last year where we didn't see kids for 50 or 60 days, you know, and that's uh, that's really concerning. We don't know what's going on with those children. They're required by law to be in school, uh, and so we'll work with the county on those sorts of cases to help get those families and students the help they need to be able to attend
1: school regularly. And does does a lot of that onus then go on the parents' Because obviously kids are under 18, you know, they're maybe, maybe there's an 18 year old in, in the district that's not showing up, but does, does the, is, it's a responsibility of the parents then this is where, where this goes to.
0: Yeah. Ultimately it's the parents responsibility, you know, certainly at the, the high school level, and maybe even the middle school level, you know, a parent's doing a great job. They're doing everything they can. They get the kid out the door. They're on the way to school. And then a the kid cuts class or not doing what they're supposed to. That certainly happens at level. But, you know, it is a parent's responsibility to get their child to school, ultimately. And we'll do everything we can on our end to help. Like I said, we've got social workers that can help identify uh, uh, strategies. We've got school counselors that can help provide resources. You know, we want to partner as much as we can to to work together. But at the end of the day, it is a parent's responsibility to get their kid to school.
1: Yeah, I was thinking, like, at some point, because of COVID and the remote learning, maybe these kids are... I don't know. I don't want to call it retaliating, but they just like I could do this at home better. Do you do you see a lot of transition? Like, hey, parents, we can just do remote learning. There is a you guys have a school right for for just that, right?
0: Well, and that's exactly it. Uh, we do have the Cooley Region Virtual Academy, which is a, a virtual option, and we have I think 120 kids in there last year. Uh, we had 12 kids graduate from that program as seniors in high school. And so it's a, it's a way that kids can be successful learning at home. And if that's a good fit for a student and they can attend that way and learn, we're happy to work with parents, get them onto a virtual platform, but for a lot of kids and for a lot of parents that, that really isn't viable and coming to school in person is the most impactful and we just need kids to be there.
1: Okay. So it's, it's one of them deals where the parents are gone, but the kid, the kid's just going rogue. (laughs) So I don't know, like, it seems like a, a difficult thing to try to, uh, to reel in.
0: It really is. Uh, we've tried lots of things, you know, but we've come up against some walls. And so we're going to keep looking for new strategies, keep being willing to partner with families to, to figure out what we can do to get kids at school. Uh, but it's, uh, it's uh, bordering on a crisis for us. You know, missing uh, 30, 40 days of school every year will have a significant impact on a kid's future.
1: 608 785 7914 is the text line. If you have any questions for Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. All right, we've got to take our first break. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608 785 7914 is the text line. Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel hanging out for the hour. If any of you are driving to Tunes that you think is going to start in 11 minutes, it's actually going to start in 41 minutes because they just delayed it by a half hour. Um, all right, so the state budget got passed, and it's it's kind of funny because every two years, as a school district, you you kind of have to hold your breath, right? Because it, you 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 wait for the state budget. You you can't even wait for the state budget to pass to to pass your own budget, right, Aaron?
0: Yeah, that's a, exactly it. We got to be budgeting in March and April the year prior, and we don't know what's going to happen until July first and it's really hard to plan for your future when every two years everything could be shook up and changed. So it's a, it's a weird process. Don't love it, but, um, you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, I guess if if the process could be like the state budget passes, but you you use, I don't know, old numbers or, or, or the state budget goes two years out, but it wouldn't work that way with elections. Um, how did you feel about the state budget? How, has, is the school district going to benefit a lot from the, the new budget, or is it just kind of we're going to be, be, be able to maintain sort of status quo.
0: Yeah. On the the face of it, it was acceptable. You know, it wasn't great. You know, there were some things missing from my perspective, you know, the three, we got $325 of uh, new revenue limit authority, you know, per pupil in our schools, which is, uh, you know, about, you know, 2, 2.1% increase in, in revenue, you know, at a time when inflation 8%, you know, so the cost of textbooks goes up 8%, the cost of pencils, the cost of health insurance, you know that stuff's rising a lot faster than the revenue we're getting, uh, you know, from the state. And it's on the heels of two years of no increases to public education, you know. So if you take a four-year average, you know, we're looking at a, you know, one, one and a half percent increase. In, in revenue. And so, um, thankful that we got something this year and uh, we will put it to good use. Uh, but also, uh, you know, it, it's really not uh, sustainable if this is the level of funding we're going to have in public education long term.
1: Yeah, there, there was a big fight over this. The, the governor used his veto pen powers to extend per pupil increases of $325 for what is it, like the next 400 in two years or something like that. Um, and that was a big fight in the legislature. Do I have that right, right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, unique use of the, the, the veto pen to extend that 325 out for um, a couple of centuries. Um, you know, it, it's as good as the the next governor's right, though, really. And so while it, you know, is maybe on a surface promising, you know, we'll see how long that actual provision lasts. Every two years they renegotiate how public education is funded. And so certainly not something we're going to rely on.
1: Well and I I've the as I've talked to a bunch of people about this so every year it will each pupil will get an extra 325 so this year it's 325 next year it'll be 650 the year after that it'll be 975 and I was thinking like wow in a decade that'll be a lot of money per pupil that'll be a big increase because it's because it's cumulative it's cumulative it adds up every year yeah um but what you just said it's only a 2% increase and in, inflation is right around there so it seems like just like the bare minimum at, at least if not, if not, not enough, because uh, you know uh, at some point we'll, we'll have to do another building referendum or something. So then the costs just shoot up by millions of dollars. Um, so, so the outrage seemed a little, it seems a little bit uh, strange there.
0: Yeah. I, it's, it's, like I said, it's acceptable. Uh, it's certainly better than what we've had in place before. And if the, a- this provision stuck for four hundred years. We'd certainly be appreciative, you know. That the value of that three twenty-five certainly changes over time. In 10, 15 years, it's going to be like a
1: one percent increase. Right. Um, okay. So with the state budget passing, what what kind of things then? And I, I understand that you you already passed the budget, but okay. Does this does this work its way into the teacher wage wages? That I feel like the teachers just had a. Um, uh we we talked about this this was like a year ago. Do we do this every year with uh teacher um raises? I guess is the easiest way to say that
0: yeah last year it was a really tough year. no new revenue for schools. Our budgets were really tight and crunched, and at a time when we had pretty high inflation our our teachers were frustrated that we didn't have more money to be able to pay them and I think you know that was obvious in their protests and their comments and everything else we worked really hard with our teachers union this year uh, to really come to some common understandings about where our budget was what was financially possible and what our aspirations were depending on how this biennial budget turned out well with the referendum passing which was huge in april and uh, a budget that was acceptable and, and more than our really conservative budget projections. We're super excited that we were able to get to a, a 6% raise for our, our teaching staff this year, uh, which is just huge. Uh, you know, it's a heck of a lot more than last year. and something that we're really thankful we were able to work collaboratively with our union to get to.
1: Did this just happen like a couple weeks ago or even a week ago?
0: Yeah, just ratified by the school board and the union in the last uh, four or five days. Okay. So uh, new, new information. Uh, like I said, super thankful that we were able to collaborate and work on this. And, you know, thankful for our community who said as a part of that referendum, they wanted us to attract and retain teachers. Well, that's exactly what we've been able to do.
1: Well, and that was kind of, you're stealing my thunder. That was kind of my mm-hmm. next question because we, we talk about quote-unquote teacher shortage. I don't know if that's the best way to talk about it or the best phrasing, but... Um, this, you know, a year ago, this was kind of negative news. And and if other teachers around the state want to come to lacrosse, they might read that and go, oh, lacrosse only gave a certain percentage of raise. Well, now a year later, you know, that's good news. You you probably will see a flood of uh, maybe new applicants and new teachers coming in.
0: It certainly won't hurt, and it'll uh, recognize and value the folks that we already have on our staff as well. We're fortunate due to, uh, you know, prudent financial planning and a supportive community that we do offer the highest wages in the area for almost every position on our staff, you know, for for education. Uh, you know, we're competitive with our, our neighbors and able to offer great salaries to, to teachers, custodians, TAs, you name it. Uh, and so this will continue to keep us in that position, and uh, and be able to really uh, attract the best possible staff to our our school district.
1: So what what you guys did last week is this kind of like, um, of like let's just say Aaron Jones, the Packers running back, he's got a contract through the next three years, but obviously he had an incredible season. He had a you know two thousand yards and twenty touchdowns, and he's like, um, renegotiate my contract, uh, or I'm I'm going to hold out. And not that the teachers were holding out, but the, was the contract not up and you guys just renegotiated? Kind of like in the middle?
0: Yeah, every year we have to negotiate our wage increase for the next year with our union. So it's an annual process. Oh, okay, you know, in, in other states, it can be multi-year. Here in Wisconsin, it's required to be an annual process. Uh, and so uh, it's uh, every year we sit down with our union and talk about what's possible and what we'd like to do. And uh, like I said, thanks to the... Uh, foresight of our, our school board for putting together this referendum, thanks to the support of our community in passing the referendum and a, an acceptable uh, state budget. We were able to get to where we wanted to be to continue to invest in our number one resource, which
1: is the great teachers we have in our schools. All right. Speak, we'll stick with teachers. And this is kind of goofy before we go to break, but I saw a meme. So I'm doing i I'm doing meme talk now. And it said that that teachers can only deduct three hundred dollars on their taxes for buying school supplies, but you can write off if you buy a private jet. You can, as long as you use it for business, you can write the entire thing off. Uh, which seems funny. It's not three hundred dollars for a private jet. You can just write the whole thing off. Is is that true? Can teachers only deduct three hundred dollars? And and then also our teachers. How many teachers do you think are spending? I don't know. Do you know what the average amount of money the teachers are using personally in their classrooms to to just upgrade things?
0: Yeah, it's three hundred dollars as a standard deduction. If you work as a teacher, it's something I've taken advantage of in my past as a teacher. You know, every year on taxes, uh, I think it's a it's a recognition by our federal government that schools are underfunded. <laughs> you know, they recognize that despite the fact that you're not a private contractor. You still have to kick in as a teacher in order to make things work on a, on a daily basis in our classrooms. And I, I don't know, you know, exactly what every teacher spends. You know, when I go into classrooms, I see a lot of stuff that was probably purchased by a teacher and others where maybe a little bit less, but I know personally for me, when I was a science teacher, you know, it was, it was a lot of, you know, my budget was maybe, you know, five, $600 in a given year. To, to do what was necessary to ensure my kids learned and got the labs they needed and the unique experiences. I'd pay out of pocket at the the
1: grocery store at Staples to get the things they needed to be successful. And I easily spent $300 a year. Would this be something like worth, I, you, you talk about we do different studies and, and try to figure things out. Would this be something to like, it wouldn't be that hard. I feel like at the end of the year, hey, teachers, can you just submit how much money you spent personally? And then you could kind of go, you could kind of use those numbers. You're year, year in a year out is just to kind of, kind of see how much teachers are investing in their classrooms out of their own pockets.
0: Absolutely. You could easily do a study and just have folks, you know, submit receipts. You know, I will say that, you know, some of the things that, you know, I did as a teacher in my classroom were, nice to have, not need to have my school district provided the core essential yeah. necessary. But if I wanted to create a welcoming classroom uh, that really made my students feel comfortable, that adapted to their individual needs, you know, I had to personally go above and beyond because, you know, our schools are underfunded and they, they didn't have, you know, the, the, Means necessary to do all those extra things uh, to make that welcoming environment.
1: When you say your budget was five hundred dollars, does the school give teachers that you get this much to use on your in your classroom? Use it as you will.
0: Yeah, I, you know, our average elementary teacher might get you know two two hundred dollars you know for the year to, <laughs> to spend on all the things that they need, and we're providing curriculum and all that other stuff. But you know, markers and crayons and scissors and you know that's why we have classroom supply lists we need our our families to help chip in to to make that uh that classroom run and function as well
1: yeah this this is just funny because it would be like do the custodians at the school like have to pitch in out of their own pocket to buy like i don't know ammonia or vinegar or anything do they have to buy cleaning supplies out of their own pocket it just seems like a kind of a crazy uh you know like when you really start to think about it it's kind of insane
0: Oh, yeah. Imagine if you asked a subway worker to bring in the green peppers tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's insane. It doesn't make any sense to me. Schools should be properly funded. The fact that that tax provision is even in there is a recognition that we're not doing what we ought to in public education.
1: 608-785-7914 is the text line. Dr. Aaron Engel is going to hang out with us uh, for the rest of the hour. All right. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to the crosstalk PM 608-785-7914 is the text line if you got any questions. La Crosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel is in here. Uh, I did, well, real quick, somebody asked me about school lunch debt. It is something I have in my notes. Um, how, how did uh, how was school lunch debt uh, handled over the past? I guess it well, would have been last year's lunch debt, right? We don't have any yet.
0: Yeah, um, well, we got a little carryover from last year, honestly, but... Um, Last year, uh, Hyatt uh, student lunch debt we've had in a while uh, was uh, about $23,000, which is uh, a lot of money. You know, just four or five years ago, it was maybe $3,000. So it certainly uh, changed. And I think a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, we had paid for lunch for everybody for two years. And so, you know, for some folks, it's confusing. Like, oh, we got to do this thing now. Forgot about it. We want to make sure that kids are ready to learn and have a good meal. So we're not going to deny them if they got a lunch in their hand. Um, We're also so thankful to to Mario and the Beer by Bike Brigade for doing a fundraiser every year to help with that student lunch debt. And for any kids and families that have a demonstrated financial need, they cover that cost, uh, which is such a great uh, and generous uh, thing that they do. Uh, And so they covered about $7,000 of that debt uh, for families that truly had a a need. The rest of it, you know, we'll continue to work with those families. There isn't a demonstrated financial need. But any family that has a a financial need, we will help ensure that they get uh, free lunch or reduced lunch and ensure that their debts are covered at the end of the year. And so we don't want any kid to go hungry. But, you know, school lunch is also not paid for by the government anymore for everyone. And so if you can't afford it,
1: it is your responsibility. Well, in Wisconsin, because you come to my state, it is. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I do get a text. We were talking about Uh, teachers kind of funding their own classrooms and and stuff like that. But I I got a text. Well, this is, uh, I have two texts actually, but Bill texted in and he goes, Rick, why doesn't the education system concentrate on efficiencies? Uh, Radio stations had to consolidate buildings, had to go with more modern times. Uh, Teachers should also.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a a great question. You know, how do schools become more efficient? I think uh, we've been in a two, three-year process to ask those questions. You know, we had a referendum in November that failed for one high school. That would have been a way to become more efficient at that level. Uh, In January of this year, you know, our school board voted to close Lincoln Middle School so that we go from three to two. That is a way that we've been able to become more efficient and save over a million dollars a year. Uh, And we've got our facility advisory committee that's been meeting for the last five months, and we'll meet for a few more, that's been discussing consolidation at the elementary level and other ways to become more efficient. And so uh, I think schools have been been, uh, thinking about efficiency for a long time, and those are just some examples, at least on the macro, you know, physical facility level, that we've really been engaged
1: in that work. Now, Bill, who texted in, if Bill wanted to get involved, the facility advisory committee—I know you guys—it's—it's uh, it's made up of 25 people selected throughout the community and different. I, I think what do we call them? Stakeholders, right? Um, but yeah. but you have meetings. Are those meetings open to the public? And do you expect the public to come, or not expect? But like you, you open this up.
0: Yeah, we are so thankful for those volunteers uh, that have come out to help grapple with these issues, wade through the the facts and the and the nuance of it all, and help come up with recommendations for our school board. Uh, They are open to the public. They are posted, absolutely. We know it's tough for people to get out to these sorts of things, and that's why we're also video recording them, putting it all up on our website. All the materials that are shared there, the PowerPoints, the supplementary materials, all of that's up on our website as well. And so trying to make the process super transparent and open to anyone who wants to, to keep abreast of those issues.
1: No, I don't know if you're, you know, obviously there's superintendent. so maybe do I need to like talk to, is it Dr. Joe Schrader? Like if I wanted to talk to you, like how, how they're, where they're at with the, the, the committee itself, or do you know, obviously you're getting updates on this. You're probably at all these meetings. So can you kind of just, we're, we're a little over halfway through the the committees, all their meetings, right?
0: Yeah, I've been at every meeting. I uh, function, you know, as kind of a resource getter. You know, like if the the group wants information or has information that they need to move forward, my job to go out and find that, present that, and answer their questions. Uh, And we're so thankful for Dr. Stroh Schrader in um, kind of facilitating the meetings. It's kind of a neutral party just to help move things along. Uh, He's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, And so we're about halfway through. Uh, the group has really dug into elementary consolidation options. They've uh, kind of evaluated different things. They're starting to kind of refine their recommendations uh, and still kind of digging through the nuance of all of that. Got some school visits coming up so they can check out some buildings and see what they look like. But they're also tackling uh, secondary uh, facilities as well. Uh, Now that we've kind of got a, a north pathway and a south pathway, Uh, We want to ensure that no matter where a kid lives in our community, they get a great education that's just the same as if they live somewhere else. And so if we've got a a great theater opportunity on the south side, we want to provide that opportunity on the north side. We've got a great automotive opportunity up at Logan High School. We want to make sure that our central students get a great automotive opportunity also.
1: Yeah. And, and like you said, all this stuff is on the website. So I, I snipped some of it from the website and it says the facilities advisory committee has accomplished a number of significant tasks in its first four meetings. Um, and just some of the highlights, reviewed demographics, data, enrollment projections, facility assessments, best practices and other factors that impact school district facilities. Uh, another one evaluated community feedback from the survey you put out, um, and to to integrate key input into decision parameters. That's very technical. There, um, this one also identify parameters for facilities evaluation from policies and the community survey. And then the last one re, redefine, refine the number of elementary school consolidation options. So that's kind of the big one, right? Like we've we here's a whole bunch of plans, and now we have refined that too. I don't and I don't know what the plans are or how many plans there are.
0: Yeah, uh it's been a process over these meetings, you know, where they kind of started to identify, you know, uh better and worse options, uh and start to kind of winnow and sift based on those parameters. And I would say that um, you know, the committee's down to probably, you know, less than 10 options that uh make the the most sense and they're kind of honing in on maybe you know, four or five that uh, are maybe are the best options from their perspective and the information that they've got. Uh, you know, but there's still uh, some time left to refine those and uh, come up with any final recommendations by November.
1: We might have buried the lead. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> I know I, it might yeah. be common knowledge, yeah. but this all started with that high school uh, high school plan. But then the plan had to evolve and or devolve if you want to you want to talk about it. But yeah, what's the dilemma?
0: Yeah, so uh, we continue to face declining enrollment. Uh, you know, we we are down 25% in the last, you know, 15, 16 years. Uh, and so our buildings just don't have the same number of kids that they used to. And uh, it makes us less efficient financially, uh, you know, so we could be more efficient financially and use our resources better if we were in fewer buildings. Uh, and it impacts our instruction as well. We have teachers that are split between buildings, can't be there when kids need them. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, kind of overstaffed, you know, based on the number of kids that are there, uh, in some cases, uh, or understaffed, uh, and so they don't have access to the resources they need. Uh, and so by consolidating to fewer buildings, it's a recognition of the declining enrollment we've experienced, uh, and it would make us more efficient financially and instructionally, uh, better off, which is the thing I'm most concerned about.
1: OK, so if you're, you've you whittled this down, I, I think you said maybe you're at 10 and you want to get that down to four or five or maybe you're at four and five and, and maybe that's that's good in terms of consolidating elementary schools. Right. Is that kind of the that where we're headed?
0: Yeah, we want a a final recommendation, uh, a report written by our our committee, you know, that's submitted to the school board. That's just a recommendation. This group isn't a a deciding group. Uh, We, like, they have done some heavy lifting, some great work, and will continue to do so. Uh, But at the end of the day, the school board is going to make final decisions around any closures or changes that could happen. So this group's job is just to put their heads together and be real thoughtful about high-quality recommendation that they think our community could support based on the information and data that's presented you know before the the board makes any decisions you know we'll have an open comment period for for the community and staff and students to weigh in on what that report says so that the board has as much information as possible to make a really good decision as we move forward
1: okay so the the committee will come down they they will end up with one plan and this is the best plan that we think or will they submit like a couple of different plans and the board can kind of you know, vote on different plans. We like this plan versus that plan.
0: Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where it will all end up. I'm not in the, the decision seat there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I my, my hope is that there is, uh, you know, kind of a definitive path forward that seems obvious to everyone. But if there's a question mark and, uh, and folks feel uh, more comfortable offering up you know, a menu or one or two options. I, I certainly uh, would you know, it's the will of the group that's in front of us to to get to that point. Um, but ultimately, you know, we'll take uh, that recommendation from the facility advisory committee uh, and weave it into a long range facility plan. You know, we're going to have a, a school district here for probably the next hundred years, and some of our buildings are going to need to be replaced, and we're going to have to rejuvenate some of our older facilities, and so. You know, maybe there is some closure of buildings along the way to recognize that we have declining enrollment, but our older buildings might need to be modernized, and maybe we need to replace the building so that we can provide a a top-tier education for our students. And so, you know, this can be uh, a part of a a broader, long-range plan to, you know, provide that world-class public education that we always have
1: here into the future. We're speaking with La Crosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. Now, when you... You guys can kind of look to the, like, how far into the future can you look and see, like, yep, enrollment's going to decline for this many years before it's kind of unknown?
0: Um, we, we can be pretty certain about five years out. You know, we've got birth rates that go, you know, out to, you know, five years before they get into school. And, you know, we can track, you know, housing trends and broader demographic trends. Things get a little more squishy after five years. Um, you know, 10 is about the limit of what we feel comfortable anticipating. And so it is always a a moving target. Demographics change and, you know, birth rates change over time. But, um, so far our predictions have
1: come in, you know, pretty close to spot on over the last three, four years since our last population study. Do you think way down the road or not even that far down the road, we'll have to kind of rehash the one high school for lacrosse thing again?
0: I I think at various points it'll certainly be a a conversation that our community will have to have. Uh, They were pretty definitive in November about how they want to proceed for the the near term, though. So I think we're committed to a two high school solution for the time being. Uh, You know, but as uh, you know, declining enrollment continues to impact us, we're going to have to think about that and, see, and, and ask ourselves, is it best? As an example, our, our, our graduating senior class this last year was, I think, 423 students. Our incoming 4K this year is 310 students. You know, that'll increase by about 10% for kindergarten, you know, so maybe around 330, 340, but that's 90 students less. In 10 years, that's you know, a thousand fewer students in our school district potentially. Uh, that's a pretty big shift. Uh, that's a, a lot fewer kids in our high schools and a, a lot more space available. It'll be an opportunity to ask that question again in 10 years. Is this the time, or are we still uh, happy with two high schools and, and where it's leading us?
1: Well, and that, and you, you could just, the way we, fund schools is per head, right? Like so it's like eleven or twelve thousand dollars a kid. So you subtract yep. that by a hundred or whatever. So that's that much less funding.
0: Yeah, we'll have to be more efficient with uh, fewer dollars uh and and make uh changes uh as needed in order to continue to keep our class sizes small and offer the range of programs that we want to.
1: It was all by the, but in a decade, Chat GTP, GPT will just be teaching all the kids anyway, right?
0: Yeah, maybe we'll all put our headsets on and the the computers will teach us, and it'll be very cheap. Or, <laughs> or maybe electricity will be super expensive, and we'll have to be reliant on teachers more
1: than ever. We'll have fusion by then, I think nuclear fusion. Um, middle school is up for sale. I don't, I, you know what? I'm not looking at it. the realtor website. Do do you? What's what's the uh, update there with the uh, selling Lincoln?
0: Yeah, we're in the the process right now of soliciting uh, proposals from developers. We had a a walkthrough the other day and had a couple uh, folks walk through and check out the building. Uh, Excited to see what proposals come in. And uh, we want to make sure that, you know, whatever um, developer we choose to to sell the, the property to, Kind of aligns with uh, you know the the community's interest in that in that uh, that property. We were uh, thankful to work with uh, ISG to do some community engagement around um, what that uh, neighborhood like to see there. Uh, housing came up as the the number one thing by far, uh, and so uh, hopeful to get some proposals that think about housing in that neighborhood and, and a way to to take that uh, property to into the next hundred years.
1: When you're doing those building walkthroughs, are they with potential developers or potential buyers? And what are they saying? Like, I don't know. Have you gotten any funky ideas with what they want to do with that building?
0: Ah, yeah. A whole range of ideas from folks that we've talked to over the last couple of months. You know, uh, you know, housing is one. You know, people were looking at the gymnasium and wondering, you know, can we turn this into condos? You know, two levels, you know, and I never thought about it that way exactly. You know, other people were looking at the turf field and said this is a great space. Can we enclose it and build over it? You know, I never thought about that. Um, you know, and with the historic designation on the, the older portion of the building, people are trying to come up with creative solutions for how to keep the building uh, exterior the way it is, but modify the interior to be useful for a new purpose.
1: Oh, and you're mad about that too, right? The historic designation.
0: <laughs> that, I mean, uh, there was we, a little bit of a fight appealed there. appealed the city's decision there. At the end of the day, it's their right uh, with their ordinances to, to dictate that. I felt like it was a little late in the game to to be making those sorts of decisions for a property but those ordinances are in place for a reason and the city felt comfortable with their decision.
1: Is there any benefit to ha- I mean I feel like from some of the people that I talked to there is some benefit to having historic designation. You you just have to figure out how to write the the correct grants to get grant funding for that stuff.
0: Yeah, there there's Grant funding. If you get a state or federal designation, there is no assistance for a, a local historic designation. You know, certainly from the city's point of view, uh, there's an incentive to retaining character and attractiveness uh, to our city. And so, I understand like the, the like the broader purpose of these sorts of historic designations. I, I get that entirely. Uh, I was mostly concerned about the process. You know, within 30 days, we're going to sell this property, and all of a sudden. Uh, it's listed on this historic site. Uh, you know they had a hundred years to put that thing on the register. Why now? So.
1: Well, and it is interesting too. you're not just trying to sell the building to sell the building. you're actually taking community's uh, you know input and in, and in, you know so you're being a little bit of a stickler there too. that's that's I mean the community's got to appreciate that.
0: yeah, I, I hope so. You know we're taking the community's interest, you know uh, at heart. Uh, and, and historic designation did come up in those community engagement sessions. It was not the number one thing by far. You know, housing was was by far the most important thing that they want. I hope that the the designation doesn't, you know, kind of limit what's possible there for our community. And, uh, and you know, maybe if they pursue those historic tax credits, it'll it'll be a huge whip. Oops.
1: Or, or you guys sell the district and and it's just like a warehouse facility, like a, a over like a yearly storage units with garage doors and that and then everyone will be like wait what uh,
0: <laughs> gosh i hope not I, I hope for good things for that property i can imagine housing for a range of economic incomes i can imagine student housing for a i can imagine some family housing that adds more kids to our district i imagine nurses and doctors moving in there into townhomes or condos and working at mayo and gunderson i think it could be a fantastic place for a uh, a community to live and work. Uh, So I'm really excited for those possibilities.
1: That's lacrosse school superintendent, Dr. Aaron angle. Thanks Aaron for hanging out this hour. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. All right. We got to take one more break. We'll be at. All right. That's going to wrap it up for a Thursday of lacrosse talk. PM thanks to dr Aaron, Aaron Engel for for hanging out this' if you want to if you caught the end of it and wanted to hear the beginning of the uh, interview it'll be on wisdomnews.com here in just a couple of minutes uh, as soon as I put it up on the website all these episodes go to wisdomnews.com. slash podcast I'll be back tomorrow morning as I wrap up my two days August schedule just like high school football all, all over again thanks everyone for listening and texting